My name's Andy, I'm one of the pastors here. As you may know already, our lead pastor Dave is over in England with his father on Father's Day. So Pastor Dave, we are so excited to have you back uh, in, here in a couple weeks and we hope your family there is well and uh, you're having a good time there in, in England. So this morning, we just wanna continue to say this. Hopefully, gentlemen, you've been hearing this from the time you first got up. Uh, happy Father's Day, right? To all the men in the house, whether you're a father or not, if you're a, a dad, a stepdad, a granddad, a foster dad, a father figure, a mentor, a coach, if you have influence on the generation coming up behind you, you have an incredibly important role to play in this world. And so I just want to celebrate you today, and I want to uh, thank you for doing what you're doing. And what Justin said a little bit ago as he was leading the songs, man, what a powerful powerful reminder to us, you know, this idea that, man, we've, we've all failed. Dads, if you're here this morning and you feel like a phony sometimes, I'm there with you. If you feel like a failure at times, if you feel like you don't deserve uh, your kids to say happy Father's Day, I'm right there with you. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. And, and God is not looking for men who are perfect. God is looking for men who will be humble enough to face their mistakes and admit them, but also continue moving forward and continue uh, being the, the positive influence in your family's life. I, I came across a study this past week as I was doing some research on the importance of fathers. And this is a study done by the US, the United States Department of Health and Human Services. And it indicates that involved fatherhood is linked to better outcomes in nearly every measure of child well-being from cognitive development to educational achievement and self-esteem and pro-social behavior. So let's take a look at just some of these results here. I thought this was super interesting. Children who grow up with involved fathers are 39% more likely to earn mostly A's in school, 45% less likely to repeat a grade, 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, twice as likely to go to college or, in, in, or find some stable employment after high school, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, and 80% less likely to spend time in jail. So gentlemen, fathers, again, it, it, your role, our role that we play in raising up the generation that we're, that's coming up behind us cannot be overstated. So this morning, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, so I know it's coming. Uh, here's where the pastor gives us sort of a motivational talk, and he's gonna give us maybe two or three ideas of how to be a better dad, and then hey, here's what you need to do, and go figure out how to do that. And, um, I, but actually, what I'm gonna do today, I, I wanna try to approach this from sort of a different angle, okay? Because my goal is for all of us as men to be the best that we can be, but my goal is also for us to, uh, to, to grow into that from a different, a different side. So I'm gonna talk to you about this from sort of a different point of view today. And the other thing about today is that this is uh, something that ladies, students, you know, every one of us in this room can learn from what I'm going to be talking about over these next few moments. It's not just something for men, but it is so widely applicable. And I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna say this. Some, some of you know I can get a little hyperbolic when I, when I speak up here because I think I'm always saying stuff like, this is the most important thing you're gonna hear today. And, and this might be one of the most important things you hear all week, uh, this message today. And, and so here's kind of the key thought we're gonna unpack over the next several minutes, okay? The key thought is essentially this. Your ability, everyone in this room, your ability, everyone watching online, 
to live a fulfilling life hinges on how you view your relationship with your heavenly father, okay? I'm gonna say this again, but let me just kind of go back to what we were talking about a moment ago. The importance of how you see your father, as we saw in those statistics, it has a big bearing on the outcome of your life. And it's the same with our heavenly father. You've heard it said before, how you view your heavenly father has a great impact on your life. But I wanna, I wanna kinda narrow the focus a little bit more today. It's not just how you view your heavenly father. It's how you view your relationship with him. I wanna talk to you about this subject of how you view your relationship with your heavenly father. Because without being overly dramatic, I don't think, I really believe that this is one of the most important things that you can address in your own internal thinking. How do I view my relationship to God? And so I wanna start in Romans chapter eight, uh, and, and we're gonna start there, then we're gonna move away from there, and we're gonna come back to it here in just a little bit. But in Romans chapter eight, uh, some of you may know this, Paul was one of the early church apostles. They were the ones who were spreading the message of Jesus. And, um, and so during this time, they, they were going around to these different gatherings of Christians all over the, the Middle East, and he became sort of this, uh, this, this important figure in the, the Roman church, the city of Rome. And so Paul goes to them, and he builds relationship, and then he writes letters to them. And we have one of those letters uh, that, that's been preserved for us in the Bible. It's Romans chapter 8. And so Paul is writing a letter to a congregation, maybe similar to this, and he's writing to them and addressing some very, very important subject matter that they all need to begin to think differently about. And in the middle of this book, he addresses this subject that we're talking about today. And we're gonna look in verses 15 through 17 where he writes this. He says to the church, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now you call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But... If we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Now, sometimes, this is kind of a little bit of insight into maybe my personality a little bit and the way I view the world. When I see a passage like this, I can read all these things about the, the, the relationship I have with God, but then I get to that, that little clause there, that sentence that talks about uh, you, you gotta share in his suffering. And, and all of a sudden, this is true for me, maybe it's true for you, all I can think about is what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like I almost ignore everything else that was written uh, because I, I just wanna know what does it mean this part about sharing in his suffering. That's something that I've really got to figure out. And so I want to quickly address that, but I want to also help you understand that I think this is a really small, small, small part of what Paul is saying. The bigger picture is where we're going to spend the majority of our time here in a few moments. But let's talk quickly about what does it mean for us to share in God, in Jesus's suffering. So I really think it comes down to this. So, um, I don't know what your upbringing was like. I grew up in a Christian home, and um, sometimes in, in circles the, like, similar to the ones that I grew up in, you've got this, like, this, this 
this sublying message, this subliminal message that the more you suffer for Jesus, the better Christian you are. And somewhere along the way, this became sort of my mode of thinking. I just began thinking, man, if I'm really a good Christian, I'm really gonna suffer for Jesus. That's just the way it is. You know, I, I, I seriously thought this way. And so uh, I've told some, this story before, but when I was coming up in Bible college, uh, I signed up to be a missionary, which I didn't wanna be a missionary, but I thought that was suffering for Jesus, you know, leaving the comforts of the United States and not just going anywhere, but I, I felt like, okay, I'm going to go uh, all the way to the other side of the globe, to Indonesia, which is, as you know, it's extremely hot, it's extremely humid, the biggest Muslim country in the world. So everything about this, this vision I had for my life was extremely difficult. And this was what I thought meant that I was totally sold out and I was totally ready to do whatever God wanted me to do. And so I, I kind of had this mentality. And somewhere along the way, I read this book where this pastor named Erwin McManus talked about his tendency to think that suffering for Jesus meant he, would, he was a better Christian or whatever. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe I'm talking about something that doesn't even relate to you. But this is so important for a few of us here in this room. And so I started thinking that suffering for Jesus meant I was a good follower of, of God. And um, I got to a point where I realized God doesn't call us to suffer. God calls us to be willing to walk through whatever comes our way as followers of Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying in this passage. He's essentially saying, listen, as a follower of Jesus, there's going to be a lot of good. He addresses that in the verses that follow this. But there's also going to be some bad that comes from time to time. Have you ever experienced bad for being a follower of Jesus? Have you ever been made fun of, rejected, um, thought you were different, you know, whatever? All those kinds of feelings that hurt so much. That's, that's definitely a form of what Paul is talking about here. And so, and so what, what Paul is saying is that you have to be willing to take that bad when it comes because the good far outweighs it. And you can't just pick and choose what you want from a relationship with God. So be willing to take the entire thing, the good, and the, whatever bad may come. But don't create suffering situations for yourself because that's not at all what God's will is for your life. He wants you to be willing to go through whatever, but he doesn't want you to create situations like I was doing where I thought I would suffer to make me a better Christian. All right, so, so that's a very small part of, of what Paul is talking about here. But the major point is what I wanna go into over these next several minutes. So Paul goes on. And in this letter, he's talking about the way we relate to God. And so what he says here is that there are basically two ways we have a tendency to relate to God. There are basically two ways that we relate to him. And, and how you view your relationship with God is extremely important in the outcome of your life. So I want to ask you this morning, how do you view your relationship with God? In order to uh, kind of help us understand this, I want to take us back. Now, how many of you remember a series we did? It was October of 2020. It was called Homecoming. If you were here, let me just see your hand. If you're online, let your online host know. Uh, Homecoming was an awesome series that we did. It was such a great, uh, great dive into this story from Luke chapter 15, uh, a story that we often call the prodigal son. You remember Dave, our lead pastor, uh, took four weeks and he talked about this story from the perspective, first of all, an overarching view of the entire story, then the, the younger son's perspective, father's perspective, older son's perspective, that whole thing. So it was a four-week series. If you haven't heard it, I really encourage you, go back 
on our website. You can listen to old messages and listen to those here in the coming week. There's so much good in what we talked about in that series. But I want to go back to that story this morning, because in the story, I think there are a lot of truths that you can kind of dwell on. You can, you can look at it from this point of view or this point of view, and there's a lot of really rich things that you can pull from the story of the, the prodigal son. But in the story of the prodigal son, there's also this, this theme that I think Jesus is addressing with the people who he's talking to. So many of you know this, but uh, Jesus, when he was on earth and teaching and, and declaring the kingdom of God, one thing he would often do is he would go around and he would teach in parables, right? And a parable is a story that brings this huge concept that is like just way too big for us to understand, and it brings it very close and relatable, like when Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God, but he would make it as simple as a farmer goes out to his field. Right? And now the entire audience in this agrarian society knows what he's talking about because either they were a farmer or somebody in their family was a farmer or they'd seen farmers around town. So they kind of understood the point that Jesus, so it was this huge point brought down to something that they could totally relate to. And so Jesus tells these parables, but they were fictional. It wasn't like there was an actual father and an actual son he's addressing. He's talking, he's, he's making a point with a story. And so Jesus tells the story of this father and his two sons in Luke chapter 15. And so I want to just kind of look at this uh, for the next few minutes. So uh, let me just kind of retell it a little bit uh, in my own words, and we'll kind of pull out some verses and read some different parts. But in the story, the father represents God, okay? And the sons represent you and me and how we view our relationship with God. And so... God, the, so Jesus tells this story of these, this father and these two sons, and these two sons kind of uh, have different ways of viewing their relationship with him, right? And so the younger son, as you may know, comes to him one day and says, Dad, listen, I'm tired of waiting around for you to die. <laughs> Terrible thing to say, by the way. Don't, go, don't, go, don't, don't greet your dad that way on Father's Day. I, I'm tired of waiting around for my inheritance. Would you just give to me what you owe me? And I'm gonna get out of here and I'm gonna go do what I wanna do. I'm gonna go live my life the way I wanna live and, um, and just kind of hit the road. And so obviously this grieves the father's heart because he doesn't want to, his son is essentially rejecting the relationship. But, but he says, okay, so here's your half of the money. And so he gives him this extraordinary amount of wealth. And the younger son goes off to a faraway land and he lives it up, he parties hard, he has a fun life, he does a lot of things, he makes a lot of friends, uh, you know, doing this kind of thing. But... As the story goes, eventually his wealth dries out and all the people who he thought were his friends have left him because it was all built on something that wasn't real. And so the younger son is in this faraway land and he's in a really bad place and he's now broke and he's so desperate that he is now feeding pigs to make a living. In the culture of that day, everyone there would have thought, oh man, that's like the worst job ever. This is like the bottom of the barrel kind of job. And he's actually eating their food because he's so hungry, he has no money left for food. So he gets to rock bottom. And the younger son comes uh, to his senses one day and he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough uh, food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both, both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So this is the plan. I don't deserve to be his son anymore. I don't really deserve to even be hired on as a servant, but it's my only hope at this point. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna humble myself. I'm going to ask him to be kind to me and hire me back into the family business as a servant. 
And so he starts his journey home, and he, many of you know the story. As he's approaching the house, his father sees him a long way off, and his father runs toward him, and he wraps him up, and he gives him a big hug. And the, and the son starts into his speech. He starts saying, uh, you know, this, this thing that he has planned, you know, to, to tell his son. But as he's saying it, the, the father interrupts him, and he cuts him off, and he, he does something very extravagant as a response to his son who has returned. Now, we'll talk about that more here in a few moments, but let's move on to the, the, his brother. So his brother is very different from him. His brother has never strayed. His brother has never left home. His brother has never uh, told his father, I wish you'd die and give me all your money kind of thing. He, he's basically been the good son. He's been working for his father this entire time. And so he, as this whole thing is happening with the younger brother, older brother is out in the fields working. He is, he is serving. He is uh, putting his hand to you know, the grindstone, so to speak. He is working hard. And while he does it, he's missing everything that's going on back at the house. So he gets back to the house and he sees all the commotion because what the father is doing is he's beginning to throw this massive party for the younger brother. And so the older brother says, whoa, 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 what's going on here? This, you know, I didn't know that we had any parties scheduled on the property today. And one of the servants says, oh, it's so cool. Your brother's returned. Your dad is excited. And we are throwing a huge party to celebrate his return. And the older brother gets indignant. He's frustrated. And, and Jesus tells us in the story that the older brother protests, <laughs> and he does this thing where he will not go into the party. He's outside, probably with his arms crossed like this, making his stance known to anyone who walks by that he will not celebrate his younger brother. So it's this really weird dynamic. So the father hears that older brother is outside pouting, and he goes outside to him. And while he's outside, he says, son, what is going on? Come on in. We're having a party. Join us. This is going to be so great. Your, your brother's returned. We're so happy. And the older brother's like, what are you talking about? That's not good. You know, this is so unfair, he says. He says, this is so unfair. Why would we celebrate his return? He says in, in, in the story, he says, all these years I've slaved for you. And I've never once refused any single thing that you have told me to do. But here you are celebrating my brother. You're doing all these crazy, extravagant things to celebrate his return. And you've never done this for me. And I've never betrayed you like he has. This is not right. So in, a, in essence, what the older brother is saying is like, he doesn't deserve it, but he's getting the party. I deserve it, and I've never had a party. What in the world is going on here? Where is my party? And I think in this story that Jesus is telling, again, there are so many amazing things that you can draw from and you can grow in, but there's one point that I think that Jesus is making in the middle of it all, and it's this, that the, the, the sons both had a mistaken view of their relationship with their father. Both of them viewed their relationship wrongly. They both viewed themselves as nothing more than servants of his. Now, I want to address this because I really think that in the church, among Christians, there is a, a, just a, a terrible problem that needs to be addressed of way too many followers of Jesus who look at themselves the way these two brothers did. They are nothing more than a servant. So what is wrong with that? What is wrong with having the perspective of viewing God as, man, I am just, I am his servant. I believe that there are three things that I want to try to identify here in the next few minutes. 
Number one, there is an identity problem with, with servant-focused people. There is an identity problem for them. You see, for these people, their identity is directly related to what they do for their family. In other words, their work determines their worth. Think about that for just a moment. Let me say that again. For people who think of themselves as nothing more than servants, there is a problem there because their, their work determines their worth. And so their value within their family is linked to what they do for the family. Okay? So this is a problem. This leads to a, a second problem, which is positional. See, the, the position of a servant is never, never secure. It never is. And here's why. Because based on the quality of your work, if you're a servant, you can be hired or fired, you can be promoted or demoted, you can be sent or you can come or you can go. Nothing is ever secure when you're nothing more than a servant. And so people with a servant mindset have this, this, this constant feeling of dread that they're just not doing enough. They're just not living up to the, uh, the, the standards. This leads to a third problem, which is a problem in the relationship. So when you have this, this identity problem and when you have this positional problem, it ultimately leads to a distance in the relationship. A dis so in the case of the servants in the story that Jesus is talking about, the servants would have lived not in the master's, in the master's home. They would have lived somewhere on the property far away and, and been kind of close, but literally some distance between the father and, and between the master and themselves. And so there is an actual physical distance between them. And sometimes for us, when we relate to our heavenly father and we view ourselves as nothing more than servants, this leads to a distance between our relationship with God. Now, this distance tends to manifest itself in one of two ways. And some of you relate to one more than the other. Shame or pride. Think about that for a moment. People who view themselves as a servant of God and nothing more view themselves through the lens of shame or pride. That kind of tends to be the way they relate to God. So the younger son in the story, obviously, he's the one who felt shame. You remember his story. He comes back, and you can just picture it. He's got his head down, you know, like Charlie Brown and some sad music playing, and he's, he's walking toward the father, and he's just, Father, I don't even deserve. I, I, it's, frankly, it's a lot for him to even ask to be hired as a servant, because has he proven himself to be trustworthy? No. Are you going to hire somebody who's so irresponsible with your, your uh, stuff? No. And so even asking to be taken on as a servant is such a stretch, but he comes to him and he's hanging his, his head in shame and he feels so embarrassed and, and he knows everyone's watching him. This is a big moment. All the, the people in the household are keeping an eye on this and this is just super uncomfortable for him. And he hangs his head and in this moment, the entire relationship he has in his father, with his father is based in shame, which leads to this constant feeling of being unworthy and, being, and, and, and this leads to this, this, this feeling of distance between them. So the older brother, on the other hand, uh, he, he related to the, the father through a sense of pride. Now remember, this is still a servant mindset. Servant mindsets take you one of two ways. 
if you view God through the lens of a servant mindset, maybe you're somebody who has this more, more like the older brother, the sense of pride. You know, you puff out your chest and you know you've done a good job. And maybe you've had some days where you don't really measure up, but for the most part, you're pretty incredible, right? You've done a lot for God. God is lucky to have you on his side. And so you can puff out your chest and you can say, God, I've been here the whole time. I haven't strayed. You owe me, God. You owe me because I have worked diligently for you. This is the the older son's mindset. I have been here. Remember what he said. I have slaved for you for years, and I've never asked one thing of you, and I've never done, not done anything that you've asked of me. So what is he saying? He's saying, I have served you, served you, served you. And the father's looking at him like, dude, if you wanted a party, let's throw you a party. Like everything I have, the father says to him, everything I have has always been yours. You don't even have to ask me. It's yours. So if you wanted to have friends over, have friends over. If you wanted to kill the fatted calf like they did for the younger brother when he returned, kill the fatted calf and and let's party and let's celebrate you and have all of your people gather around. But you see the whole point that, the, that I think Jesus is trying to address with these two, this story of these two sons is that both of them viewed God or their relationship with their father through the same lens. They are nothing more than servants. And that way of thinking either leads you to hang your head in shame, I'm not worthy, or puff out your chest in pride saying, I am worthy. And both of those are inadequate ways to relate to God. Because both of them keep the focus on you and what you do for him. And the whole point is relationship. The whole point is how do you relate to your heavenly father? How do you relate to the earthly father in the case of this story? It's not about what you do for me or what you've not done for me. It's about you're my son. And because of that, you have full access to relationship if you will take advantage of it. So let's wrap this up here in the next few minutes. So let me ask this question then. How should we see ourselves uh, in relationship to God? Obviously, as sons and daughters of God. You see, there is a difference between sons and servants. Sons still serve, but servants don't have relationship. They're only as good as the, the quality of their work. Sons are a part of the family no matter what. And, 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 We, as followers of Jesus, should not relate to God as servants. We should relate to him as sons and daughters. In both cases, you see Jesus, you see uh, Jesus through the story, the father rebuking them, saying, dude, you're not my servant. To the older son, he says, if you wanted to throw a party, throw a party. Let's do it, you know. Uh, everything I have is yours. To the younger son, he won't even let him get out the words uh, where he, he has this whole rehearsed thing. And he says, please take me on as your hired servant. The father cuts him off. And the father says, nope, nope, nope. You're being fully brought back in as son. You, he puts a robe on his back to, to symbolize, uh, you know, his sonship, a ring on his finger for authority, shoes on his feet to show that he belongs. He's not just a servant in the home. He's got a permanent place within the home. And so in both cases, the father lovingly redirects their thinking. Dude, you're not just a servant. You are my son. In Romans chapter eight, where we began a few minutes ago. So if you, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. 
Some of you know this, but that word Abba is a powerful, powerful word. It's an Aramaic word that wasn't used very often in that context, but the fact that Paul brings it in here is very significant because Abba is essentially like the, the, the most intimate, like simple way of addressing a dad in that culture. So when my kids were born, when they were little, uh, four of my five kids are right here with me today. I uh, got another one back in, in Missouri in college, Macy. And um, when, when each of them were little, probably in the, was the case in your home as well, their first words were, of course, what? Mama, right? <laughs> and in our case, it was rightfully so. Mama was there. Mama was superstar. Mama was superwoman. And so they knew mama very, very, very well. Second word out of their mouths almost every time, I think. One of my sons was football, actually. Or it's touchdown. It was touchdown. That's what it was. Uh, but then at, shortly after that, it was dada. Dada is this very simple, like, baby way of saying and every time they'd say that, you guys remember those feelings? Oh, man. Ah, be called dad-dad by your little baby or whatever. It's just so special. And at that point, my kid had not done anything for me. <laughs> they hadn't served me at all. They were just my kid. And because of that, they were, they were so incredibly special to me. What Paul is saying here is in the same similar way as a, a child says dad-dad, our spirit says Abba, which is the... the Best translation is dada. <laughs> Our spirit says, you know, just as simple as that first relationship a baby has with his father, we cry out to our God saying, Abba, Father. For your spirit joins, his spirit joins with ours to affirm that we are his children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. I love that so much. So I want to just take a moment to have you think upon how you relate to God. Number one. Do you see distance between yourself and God? Do you often feel like you have to close the gap? Like, man, I've just been so far from God. I gotta, I gotta spend some time. I gotta, do, you, do you feel distance between him and you? If you do, you might have a servant mindset. Do you feel shame when you walk into church or when you're around godly people and you feel like you have to hang your head because you're just not good enough? You probably have a servant mindset that you need to address. Do you come into church and you feel self-righteous and proud because you think you are really, really, really serving God well and he's lucky to have you on your team, on his team? You might have a servant mindset. Do you feel like your relationship with God is tenuous? Like some days you're, on, you're good with him and some days you're on the outs with him. If so, you probably have a servant relationship. So if you are here today watching online and you can relate to any of this at all, you need to change your thinking from being just a servant to being his son, his daughter, with a permanent place in his household, with full access to relationship with him and all that comes along with that. God doesn't want you to relate to him as just a servant. He wants you to relate to him as sons and daughters who have brought, been brought into his family with full rights and privileges that go along with that. Can I pray for you today? Would you bow your heads with me and online as well? Father, thank you so very much for doing what only you could do to bring us into relationship with you. God, we cannot work to save ourselves. And Lord, frankly, on our best day, our, our, our most righteous days where we do the most for you, you're thankful for it, I believe, but it's not like you couldn't have done that with just the snap of a finger, you know? And so, God, 
I don't want to relate to you anymore as, a, as just a servant. I know you've brought me into your family as a son, and, and, and um, every one of us here today, God, has access to you. Lord, if there are people here today who have never taken a step of faith, Lord, in this moment, I just pray that they would very simply acknowledge uh, that, that, that you invite them into relationship, Lord, and all they have to do is confess that Jesus is Lord and, and, and admit that they need a Savior because their sin separates them from God. And if they will put their faith in that simple act, Lord, then you invite them into, their, into your family and they have the full rights just like anyone else in this room. So God, change the way we think in relationship to you, we pray in Jesus' name.